You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. This is The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. You are listening to yours truly, Garrett Ashley Mullet, host of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is episode 46 of season 3, episode 111, 111 of this podcast. Today is May 5th, 2021. We're going to talk in this episode about a article from thecollegefix.com sent to me by my cousin Micah earlier this week or late last week. It's been a tab open on my browser, Brave browser, by the way, if you're looking for a better alternative to Google Chrome and Mozilla Firefox and Internet Explorer. I've been using Brave for about six months now, and I really like it. It's a lot quicker, and I don't worry about bugs, and I don't worry about trackers and cookies and things like that being picked up along the way as I'm surfing the Internet. It gives me privacy, peace of mind, and it is actually a lot quicker, too, when you don't have a whole lot of bugs, buggage, bug baggage weighing you down. But I've had this tab open from thecollegefix.com. The article title reads, Exclusive Look, here's a deep dive into one university's anti-white diversity training. Tyler Hummel, Flashpoint College, Chicago, published this April 30th, 2021. From the top, A student at the University of Florida has provided to the College Fix images from a diversity and inclusion training that students are being told to take. The materials teach that equity is fair while equality is not, that whitesplaining is a form of racism, and many other lessons that suggest white people are the problem. The program consists of a series of multiple-choice questions, infographics, and videos. Each of the questions and videos focuses on specific examples of insensitive language and interactions between white students and minorities and highlights what is considered the appropriate interaction in each case. Now, before I go on, in theory, generally speaking, no big deal. Do we want to be needlessly offensive to people? No. Is it possible that sometimes we say things that are needlessly offensive? Yes. Is this a uniquely white problem and every other race under heaven is immune to a greater extent than white people? Not on your life. But let's continue. Each of the questions and videos focuses on specific examples of insensitive language and interactions between white students and minorities and highlights what is considered the appropriate interaction in each case. One question asks whether it is cultural appropriation for a white man to host a salsa and sombreros-themed birthday party. It is, students are told. At another point, students are asked whether fairness is another word for equality or equity. If they choose equality, they receive a note that that answer is wrong and that equity means fairness, which is about giving everyone what they need to be successful. Equality is different means sameness. So treating people equally means treating everyone the same, whether or not that is fair. And that is a direct quote. In another image, students are taught that white splaining is a form of racism. Again, direct quote. 
It uses a story of a white male who asks his Navajo friend where they got their turquoise jewelry and then reminding them not to shop at chain stores. In a section that talks about privilege, a picture of a white male is shown. The program defines privilege as a set of advantages that a group gains when another group is stereotyped, stigmatized, or otherwise oppressed. People may be privileged through no action of their own. People with privilege, like people without privilege, often work hard for what they have. Nevertheless, privileged groups have power over oppressed groups. Another section offers four separate definitions of the word oppression, which it says can come in different forms, ideological, institutional, interpersonal, and internalized. It contrasts ideological oppression, quote, the idea that one group is somehow better or more deserving than another and has some right to control the other group, end quote, with institutional impression, quote, when ideological impression becomes woven into the systems and institutions that make society run, end quote and then offers examples of how they manifest. For the latter example, it suggests institutional oppression can be seen in common policies and practices like how people with the least access to money often pay the highest loan or credit card interest rates because they don't have well-established credit histories. The program describes intersectionality as the idea that oppressions like racism and sexism are connected and often overlap. The program also includes videos. One portrays a man named Jeff, described as a white male with a stoner vibe who has made racist comments, such as, quote, no offense, but I think all lives matter would be a better way to bring people together, you know, because black lives aren't the only ones who matter, end quote. The video then prompts the viewer to choose between three separate responses to these comments before ultimately suggesting that the viewer ought to engage in a discussion with Jeff about his comments and assumptions. According to the training's transcript, saying all lives matter is like the fire department showing up at your house when it's burning down and spraying down the house across the street instead of yours because all houses matter. But right now we're focused on this one particular house because there's a freaking fire. Gosh. Not a direct quote. The second series of videos is titled Student Point of View and Explores Implications of Intersectionality. Videos consist of students explaining how complicated their identities and lives are. One interviewed student says, I don't think you can properly understand, um, like, the history of this nation or our racial system if you don't understand what anti-blackness means. And I guess for me, anti-blackness is, uh, at its purest form, I think it's like violence and trauma and, like, dehumanization. Another student, who we find out is deaf, describes a confrontation with a police officer where he claims he was stopped on the street for carrying two bags. Quote, you know, you need probable cause. And, you know, I knew some court cases and was sharing with him what I learned. And I mean, maybe it looked like I was tough, but I felt terrified. I was terrified. I started sweating. I was so nervous talking to him and afraid of what was going to happen. And when I said all this to him, his face turned red and he was angry and he started arguing with me and he started calling me the N-word and swearing at me and then jumped in his car and left. And I got to work a few minutes early, walked in, threw my bags in the back and immediately went into the restroom and just started bawling. And I wasn't sure that I was even going to make it home that day. End quote. The answer given to what can you do with privilege is... So when it comes to privilege, I think it starts with understanding and recognizing where you have privilege. And I think that definitely 
that can be used as a platform for change. Compelling stuff. The University of Florida paid $38,000 to implement the anti-racism course, according to the independent Florida Alligator. The student newspaper also noted the 40-minute interactive training course needed to be completed by April 1st, 2021. Faculty and staff were given a due date to finish it by January 31. The material isn't required by the college, according to the Assistant Vice President of Communications, Steve Orlando. The University of Florida partnered with EverFi to provide this course, which is viewed as a building block that may help those who complete it develop critical life skills related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, he told the College Fix via email. The course is available for all students, faculty, and staff. However, the course is not a requirement. The student who sent the fix, the material, however, felt misled by the school. The student said students and staff likely think the training is mandatory and is relieved to find out there is no penalty for not finishing the course. In fact, the student had received an overdue notice that they had not yet completed it. I suspect that if you asked students, faculty, and staff, almost everyone would say that they believe it to be required because it has a prominent due date assigned in the reminder emails, the student told the college fix. Usually, when something has a due date, there are consequences for not doing it. Furthermore, in an official statement last June, the university president stated that UF will require training of all current and new students, faculty, and staff on racism, inclusion, and bias. So I guess this isn't the required training he called for. And that is the end of this piece. I'll include a link if you want to read it for yourself. I'll include a link in the description for this podcast episode. But this is happening all over the country. You could think to yourself, well, that's one school, that's one university, University of Florida. We don't live in Florida, maybe. If you're listening to this, you might live in Montana or Colorado or Texas or California or Ohio. We have listeners all over, and God bless them. But... You don't have to live in Florida to be having the same exact experience. This is happening all over. It didn't come from Florida, and it won't end with Florida. And I really don't think that any amount of expose pieces like this one from the College Fix are going to be enough to stop what is happening here. It is cultural Marxism. The Howard Zinn, A People's History of the United States, narrative is that our entire country can be summed up as a tale of oppressors winning out over the oppressed. The reason why that's convenient is if you convince everyone that the current system is inherently unjust, racist, even evil, and that it is comprised of the have-nots, enemies, if you can make a block out of everybody that we should hate, well, then it's easy to work up a campaign to destroy those people that we hate. Remember those people we hate? Who we blame for all of our problems? And how they're right over there and there's a whole lot of us and there's not very many of them? Eat the rich. That's a plan. White people. White people are the problem. Didn't you know? It would be one thing if this piece here included anything whatsoever about minorities lecturing straight white men as if minorities 
are privy to some special arcane spiritual plane, some special knowledge that straight white men must have a must have a genetic defect, I guess, some blockage in our brain that wasn't fully developed, and we don't have that neural pathway to the universal consciousness that people who are intersectional have. The more intersectional you are, the more exponentially greater the signal strength, I think, is how that works. So then we don't need to explain to ethnic minorities, religious minorities. We don't need to explain to women or LGBTQ persons how they can be offensive to white people. No, 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 no. This is a one-way street. Because as the Black Panthers figure in the 70s, I believe it was, is famous for having said, racism equals power plus prejudice. I do believe Howard Zinn repeats that same definition in his book, and he uses that as his justification for why he's only telling the stories which make straight white men into the villains and make everyone else the victims. Let's not talk about the human condition. Let's not talk about our sin problem. Let's not talk about our need for a savior. Let's make this all about class and wealth redistribution and power redistribution because money is power. When you start redistributing power like this, where you shame white people coming in, they have to start from a default position of abasement. And when I say that, I mean one word, abasement, not two words, not a basement, although it's close. Abasement, they have to abase themselves. They have to get down and kiss the ground in front of you as you walk by as a sign of their submission to you. If you catch them at a diner having a meal with a friend or a loved one, you get to go up angrily corner them, shout at them to raise their fist in a black power salute and repeat after you, Black Lives Matter. And they had better do it. They had better do it if they value their lives, their job. But the problem is white people. The problem is not the expectations that people have sometimes. It is not the capacity for people to be manipulative and to pretend at being offended so as to gain an advantage. No, no, no. The problem is only ever and always white people being needlessly offensive. Damn white people. We don't have the sense God gave a goose, apparently. And we need diversity training like you wouldn't believe. It's remarkable to me how little diversity there is in all of this diversity training. Did you think of that? Why is it that all of these diversity classes are exactly the same? They're predicated on a foregone conclusion, on a misapprehension of economics, of political organization, how societies function, human history, theology, anthropology, psychology, 
morality. These are cultural Marxist presumptions being baked into the pie with diversity training. Black Lives Matter sounded really good. And again, I'm going to plug Vody Bauckham's book, Fault Lines, again. Go read it if you haven't. But he points out, rightly so, he puts it in a clear verbiage that a lot of evangelical Christians in this country heard the phrase Black Lives Matter and they thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. Black lives do matter. I agree with that. Who's saying they don't? If somebody's saying Black Lives Matter, it must mean there's somebody else who's saying Black Lives Don't Matter, and I know which side I'm on. I'm going to say Black Lives Matter. That's the right answer. God, Jesus, Mary says the sleeping Sunday school student when the teacher calls on him and he wasn't paying attention. Just start throwing words out there. Who cares what they mean or the context or whether that was indeed the answer to the question that was asked. Black Lives Matter. Okay. What's, what, what, what is the movement actually about, by the way? Oh, yeah, it's founded by trained Marxists. You know this. The diversity training business comes from the exact same place. This is a way of conditioning and grooming a whole country of people to divide themselves up based on categories that are useful to Marxists. Divide and rule. That's my motto. I don't think of myself as a straight white male, first and foremost, except that I keep being called that. So at what point do I say, I guess that's what I'm going to call myself. That's what I am, right? For the purposes of dialogue, you keep saying that's what I am. I guess that's what I am. Those are accurate characteristics of me, by the way. I'm not just self-identifying as something I'm not, but... I didn't grow up thinking of myself in those terms. And now I get to this enlightened age and people I knew from high school who are now public school teachers, which, by the way, is all the more reason to buy my book. And this is why we homeschool, available on paperback and Kindle from Amazon.com. Friends of mine from high school who are now public school teachers are 100% on board with critical theory, critical race theory. These are kids that I knew from Bible study, from youth group. These are kids who helped lead worship, who helped to teach. These are kids that were the examples held up for everybody else. Now they're public school teachers, private school teachers, attending Black Lives Matter rallies, throwing up the black power fists, going on and on and on like Tim Keller about how bad it is that we're white how defective we are because we're white. What a satanic lie that is. The anti-black racism gets no patience from me. But for the exact same reason, the anti-white racism just isn't going to cut it. I'm not good with that. It's as fundamental a lie when you're railing against white people as being inferior in intelligence, character, simply based on the color of their skin as when someone else is doing it because somebody is black. But you don't actually care about racism. This isn't 
anti-racism. This is anti-capitalism. Because at the heart of this complicated net, this booby trap, at the heart of it is a desire to topple America, at least in the form that it competed with the Soviet Union, in the form that it competed with communist China. Topple America. If we are divided against ourselves, fighting amongst ourselves, complaining incessantly about diversity training in Florida designed to shame, ridicule, mock, castigate, marginalize, stigmatize, ostracize nobody as much as straight white men, not because they're uniquely racist, misogynistic, homophobic, ignorant, oppressive. No, no. That's what they tell you. That's what you're being brainwashed into believing when you watch the news, listen to the news, read the news, attend these universities, attend public schools, attend charter schools even. When you listen to all too many evangelical leaders, tune into the Gospel Coalition to find out about repenting of your whiteness. What the hell? What the actual hell are you smoking? You want me to repent of my whiteness? Let's just change some words around here and let's try this on for size. Try that in the black community and tell people to repent of their blackness. Try that in an Asian community. Tell people to repent of their yellowness. Try that in a Native American community. Tell them to repent of their redness. That is such vile nonsense. But... Now, guilt is collective. Justice needs served for supposedly collective crimes. Tim Keller is peddling this crap, and it's false teaching. Tim Keller, co-founder of the Gospel Coalition, has a platform to say these things. And now, the definition of who is and is not an oppressor, who is and is not part of this systemic racism is so broad that you might as well just say everybody who's white and also not of the left, not progressive. It's open season on all them, all those people. Really? All of them? Yeah, all of them. 100%. You're either with me or against me, as Jesus said. Oh, nope, actually it wasn't Jesus in this case because I don't want your woke Jesus your woke Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. This is a false gospel. This is a false Christianity. And it's being peddled by ambitious persons who care only about satisfying their own lusts, their lust for power, their lust for other people's wealth. This is a raiding party. This is a lynch mob. This is not justice. It is not biblical justice. It doesn't matter how many times big people with a big microphone, with a big platform, with lots of really good connections, people that have a following, it doesn't matter how many of them get up and say that social justice is biblical justice. It will not make it true. You know, I just finished up Eusebius. Eusebius's 
The Church History, translated by Chris L. Meyer. And I will say, as an update, I mentioned it several podcast episodes ago, and I said that I wasn't really caring for it. I wasn't loving it, because it was hard to distinguish between the footnotes and the commentary on the one hand, and what Eusebius actually wrote on the other hand. And that's still true. I still think that's obnoxious. It got easier to differentiate, maybe... Still not 100% sure I differentiated all the time as I went along. But as a counterpoint, as I was listening to Our Oriental Heritage by Will Durant yesterday, I noticed they actually say note or author's note and then end note before starting to talk about a footnote or read it and then after finished reading it. And that would have been really useful with the Eusebius history. But I digress. That's not the whole point of me bringing it up, not to beat that drum, kick that dead horse, whatever. The only thing worse than beating a dead horse, by the way, is trying to ride one. Words of wisdom. But Eusebius talks a lot about the period of church history surrounding when Constantine became emperor of the Roman Empire. We're talking about early 4th century, late 3rd century, Christians being persecuted horribly, and then all of a sudden you have this war between competing claimants for the empire, for the imperial title. And on the one hand, you have persecutors of the church, and on the other hand, you have someone claiming that Christianity needs to be protected. And that's a new idea. He claims to be a Christian. Well, that's a new idea. Now, whether or not his faith was genuine, I'm still not sure of. It's not my place to decide ultimately whether he gets in or doesn't get in to the book of life. That's God's decision. And God knows far better the situation there with Constantine than I do. I need to study it out some more and not just repeat uncritically impressions that have been formed in my mind by people who quite honestly, have axes to grind. They have an agenda. They have dogs in this fight. But I'm going to read a biography of Constantine. That's going to be one of the next books in my uh, reading rotation. And that should help me to understand better what the situation was with regards to Constantine, understand him better. But Eusebius, as he's talking about this persecution of the Roman emperors, Again and again, this common theme is that the Christians refused to worship the pagan gods. That was a problem. In fact, that was a huge problem. As the Christians are refusing to participate in the cults, the traditional cults, they are maligned, slandered, accused of all kinds of awful things that are completely not true. False accusations being leveled that Christians are incestuous, that they are cannibals, that the Lord's Supper is them actually eating and drinking blood, eating people's flesh and drinking their blood. So all of these ridiculous things are being thrown out there. When Rome catches fire at one point during the reign of Nero, he scapegoats the Christians and starts rounding them up and persecuting them violently. 
But you have not just the persecution from without, where it's not safe to be a Christian publicly, and anybody who claims Christianity publicly takes their life in their hands and will probably be drawn and quartered or skinned alive or burned alive or thrown to lions and animals and wild beasts or beheaded or tortured. It's not just that. It's also from within the church that periodically heresies crop up. And very often, heresies come in one of two forms. The first form is somebody who had sound doctrine gets seduced by a false teacher, and then they, in turn, end up repeating that false teaching from their position of authority. And historically, over and over again, when that happened, there was an effort at restoring the person who formerly had good doctrine, restoring them to a right understanding of the truth through extended dialogue. Let's sit down and talk about this. Why do you believe what you believe? And also, what about this, 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 and this? And that's part of why it's so important to be open to reason, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because sometimes our doctrine gets twisted, it gets perverted, it gets tainted with something that is not of God. It's actually of the devil. And Satan is trying to infiltrate the church. He's trying to get his mark on our testimony so as to pollute it, so as to destroy it, so as to negate it, to make it unfruitful. So that's the one category. The one category is faithful men of God who are led astray themselves, and then in turn they start spreading this false teaching to their disciples. The second category is the Simon Sorcerer, Benny Hinn type, who are in it to win it. They are cynically participating in this whole sham Christianity or some form of Christianity or an appearance of godliness while denying its power. They don't believe a word of it, but they're going to build a throne and they're going to sit on it and they are going to spread a whole lot of lies. And the only thing you really, really, really can't do is question their right to say the things that they're saying. But they're permissive, they're licentious, they're indulgent, they're very convenient to those who have itching ears and want to hear what they want to hear. So there's two categories of false teacher. And then those who fall into false teaching fall into false teaching for a myriad of reasons. One reason being that they were weak-minded. They didn't know God's word well enough. They weren't familiar enough with it to be able to distinguish the lie from the truth in a statement. And so they embraced both. They embraced the lie and the truth together. So now the truth is really not true because it's been fundamentally transformed by the lie that was implanted and embedded in it. So you have the weak-minded, the uninformed, the ignorant. You also have those greedy for unjust gain who see in this an opportunity to advance themselves. They're ambitious. If I jump on this bandwagon of accusing Christians and saying that they are the ones that set fire to Rome, I'm accusing them of being atheists, accusing them of being not loyal to the empire, 
accuse them of being seditious, accuse them of being incestuous and cannibalistic. If I jump on that bandwagon, I might get a share of their redistributed property because that's what was happening. When Constantine takes over the Roman Empire, when the dust settles and he is the emperor of Rome, he directs that property which had been taken from the Christians be given back. Any Christians who are in prison are to be released, set free, given their property back forthwith. It wasn't just about a difference of opinion. And it wasn't just from the very top, like you might think if you are too deep in these Marxist ideas, that all these oppressions come from the top down. No, they as often come from the bottom up. Somebody covets what his neighbor owns. His neighbor's a Christian. This someone is a pagan. He wants what that guy over there has, so he throws out an accusation. This guy's a Christian. In the early Roman Empire, that gets you martyred sometimes, as often as not, before Constantine. So now, all of a sudden, your neighbor, the Christian, is out of the picture. And those things that he had that you wanted are ripe for the taking. The same also, so also, with this Marxism. This diversity training is not diversity training. It is anti-white training. It is let's eat the rich training. It is let's redistribute wealth, including not just financial wealth, material wealth, but political wealth, social wealth, power, influence. Those the gods wish to destroy, they first make ridiculous. And that is what this is. This is designed to make us ridiculous, to make us silly, to deprive us of our senses, to disenfranchise us, And what comes next is taking all of our stuff. Anybody who's not willing to bend the knee and wear the mask and social distance and prove their submission and their acquiescence to these things will be systematically destroyed. Made an example of just like Christians were in the early Roman Empire, so also here. We need to be grounded in the truth. We need to know the truth. I had a question last Wednesday. Actually, when I was teaching youth group, I had a table of 15 young men in the making, in the forming, 12 to 13-year-old boys, and half the table was out of control. So if any of y'all have boys in that middle school youth group group that I was teaching, I want to talk with them about that and uh, see how that's going. (laughs) You might want to look into that. But I had 15 middle school boys, half of whom were content to listen and stay on topic and stay focused. And the other half, I tried several times with some success, limited success, not enough success, to get their attention and to say, that's enough. Stop it. Calm down. Stop changing the subject. Stop making jokes. Be respectful. But at one point, as a small example of this, I said, in good faith, hey guys, if any of you are not familiar with a word that's used in this passage that we're reading, we're reading through Jude, talking it through. If 
any of you are not familiar with a word in here and you want to know the definition, don't hesitate to ask. The passage won't make sense, the sentence won't make sense, the statement, the idea won't make sense if we've got a bunch of unfamiliar words in here that we need to define first. There's no shame in it. Everybody's got to have these words defined at some point. Just let me know. So then I get a smart-ass question from a young man who will remain nameless. I'm not going to say his name here. He knows who he is. He asked, what is a shogun? A shogun. Yeah, I've got a paper coming up on the Japanese shogun. What is a shogun? Smirking to himself, thinking himself very clever, I said, well, I explained. I knew the answer. Right? I've studied Japanese history. One of my favorite strategy games in high school and early college was shogun. Total war. So I explained a shogun is a, a warlord who in Japanese history was pretty much the regent. He was the ruler in fact, even though the emperor was the ruler in theory or in name only. The emperor would be a kind of figurehead, and the shogun was the one with the actual power. And very often the shogun had the emperor hostage, but it, as a formality, everyone would refer to the emperor as the authority, and they just kind of winked and nodded at the fact that the shogun had the emperor hostage and his family hostage and could do what he pleased with them. And I said, okay, so that's the definition. Let me clarify my earlier invitation to ask what words mean. Let's ask what words mean in the text here, in the scriptures. The word shogun does not show up in here. Well, how do you know it doesn't? Oh, ha, 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 ha. Because I read the book. Oh, okay. All right. You guys stop, right? That's enough. But there's a truth there that's important, and I hope they caught it, and I hope they think about it. The truth is that we need to know what is and is not in God's Word so that when somebody asks us a frivolous question like, how do you know there aren't any shoguns in the Bible? You can answer with confidence and with certainty, because I read it, because I've studied it, because I've studied it since I was a boy. I've been studying it for longer, for, tw- for twice as long as you've been alive. I, yeah, I, I know that it's not in there, you know. Um, diversity training, critical theory, critical race theory, anti-whiteness, anti-racism of the kind that Ibram Kendi X is peddling, that Black Lives Matter is peddling. It's not in there. Just like the word shogun, it's not in there. It's not in there. So with all that said, that's all I've got for this episode. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, objections, complaints, reach out to me. Otherwise, until next time, stay frosty and God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.
Thank you.